Okay, good morning, gentlemen. Let's begin. We're actually going to continue. We're beginning today, but we're continuing the story of the Jewish people at this most have a great day. At this most amazing moment when God splits the sea for the Jewish people and drowns the Egyptian army. So yesterday we set the scene. We set the scene and we described how the Jewish people came to this place called Pihachiros, the mouth of freedom, but the mouth, this this uh, valley in between two high cliffs where they have the Sea of Reeds, the Yamsuf, which is probably the Gulf of Nakba behind them and the Egyptians are coming towards them and the Egyptians finally catch up to them and it is the night or the dusk when the Egyptians catch them going into the seventh day from their exodus, the night of the 21st of Nisan and the cloud of, besides the clouds of glory that were absorbing all of the arrows that the Egyptians were shooting at the Jewish people, the pillar of cloud that normally went in front of the Jewish people to guide them during the day and would disappear at night when instead the pillar of fire would lead them. This pillar of cloud moves from the front of the nation where they were and moves to the back of the people in order to separate between the Jews and the Egyptians. And this way the Jews had the fire all night, so they have light, and the Egyptians are in the darkness during the night. And then we discussed yesterday that the Jews, four different groups, each one said, one said we should commit suicide, one said we should surrender to the Egyptians, one said we should fight, and one said we should pray. And God says, all of them don't do any of that. I told you, Moshe, that we should travel forth. And therefore, what happens, we continue now in the middle of the third aliyah, the actual miracle that takes place. Hashem, stress, and Hashem, sorry. Moshe stretches out his arm over the over the sea. And when Moshe stretches out his arm over the sea, Hashem brings a very strong, powerful eastern wind, which is the, the wind of God's punishment. And this wind blows the water until it forms a dry a wall where the water is being held by the wind and the sea turned into dry land and it opened up for the Jewish people to walk through. And the Jewish people, the next verse says, which means they went inside the ocean on dry land. So there's actually many, many miracles, and the water became for them a wall on the right and the left side. We are told that there's actually 50 miracles that took place at the splitting of the sea. The 10 plagues was the finger of God, and this is the hand of God. There's 50 different miracles that took place for the Jewish people. 5-0. 5-0 that took place in the Yalkut Neam Lowe's actually describes each one of the 50 miracles that took place. I'm not going to go through the whole list of 50 miracles now, but I'll show you some of the more famous miracles that took place besides the sea split. So number one, this, I just want to, before you get to the miracles, the sea split is an easter wind blowing the whole night to keep the waters from the go. Now the water, because of the wind, would just be like liquid. The water became a wall. It's a miracle. It became solid that the Jews felt safe going through. The, the ground that they were walking, as the Torah tells us, became dry land. So even if a sea splits, the bed of the sea, the ground is going to be muddy and dirty. It's, it's going to be moist. There's was, there was just water there. Not only did the sea split, the water became dry like a paved road. In addition, the water is split into 12 different tunnels, each one for the different one of the 12 tribes, and it split as the Jews were walking. So it wasn't like all of a sudden there was like a path the whole way through. As they were walking, the water continued to open up and to stand for them. In addition, the water didn't just open up into two sides. There was a roof over their heads like a tunnel to give them protection so they should feel safe from the arrows, etc. 
there was a tunnel. They went through like in a tunnel, each tribe in their own tunnel. In addition, although the walls were solid walls, if one of the kids, if someone got thirsty, they were able to go to the wall and fresh water came out of the wall. Even though there's a sea, which is sea water, salt water, I mean, the uh, water was, that they wanted to drink was fresh. In addition, until that fruit began to grow along the walls of the water. In addition, grass began to grow on the, or food for the, for the animals began to grow on the floor of the bed. So when the animals were walking, they had food to eat as well. Um, so as they're walking through, it's not just that the water is split, but that they're in this tunnel where the water, the ground is hard. Actually, one of the miracles of the water became like a mosaic. The floor became like a mosaic with beautiful designs. So they felt like they're walking through like a beautiful palace with these walls around them, with water coming out, with, uh, with, um, with uh, fruit growing out, etc. Another miracle, the walls were translucent. They were clear. You know, the waters normally, they were able to see the other tribes in the other tunnels. So they didn't feel like they were like alone in the tunnel, claustrophobic. The walls were clear. They could see through to the other tribes in the other tunnels. Uh, it also had a beautiful smell inside the tunnels. You know, the water could be dirty, but it smelly. There was a beautiful fragrance, like an air freshener in there. Um, the water, it was flat. Normally, when you're walking through the sea of the of, of the ocean, you know, it goes down. There's rocks. It, could be, it was a smooth, paved road without any dips going up and down, the easy walk. So then the Jews go, that's what it says, when they saw Betochayam. The Jews went inside the ocean, and as it went inside the ocean, the ocean opened for them, and it became dry land, and the water became for them a wall on the right side and on the left side. In addition, not only the waters at the, at the Sea of Reeds split, but it says, all of the water split all over the world. Every body of water split into two. Every person's swimming pool, I don't have swimming pools back then, but every pond, every lake, every well split in half. So the whole world, literally the whole world knew about the miracle of the Jews experiencing the splitting of the sea. Okay, um, now the Egyptians are chasing after them. The Egyptians, actually, one more miracle. So one more miracle. Not only did the sea split, but it says the heavens above also split. The heavens above split, and the Jewish people, even the maids, were able to see revelation of godliness that prophets are normally not able to see. What a maid saw at the splitting of the sea, says the Talmud, when the heavens were split open, just like the waters were split open, the heavens were split open, what a maid, a simple woman, was able to see was greater than the great prophet Yecheskel saw, Ezekiel saw in the very famous prophecy of the chariot. They saw even greater at that moment of the splitting of the sea. Anyway, so the sea split, the Jews are walking through the whole night. The, the pillar of cloud is there. Comes the beginning of the morning, and the Egyptians are chasing after the Jewish people. Now they see the cloud of smoke lifts up. Cloud of, the cloud lifts up that was separating the Jews and the Egyptians. So the Egyptians start chasing after the Jews, and Hashem confounds them. And Hashem makes it the pillar of fire should melt the seabed that was hard, should not become muddy and like, 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 like cement. That's hot mud to absorb the uh, chariots would come in, they would get stuck in the mud, and they were coming in there. And Hashem made it that all the chariots, the wheels got stuck in the mud, and they were being dragged in further. And the Egyptians began to get afraid. And the Egyptians began to say, Anusa let us run away from the Jewish people. 
because God is fighting for them. And instead what happens? Hashem confounds them that instead of running away, they keep on running further and further into the ocean. So they're running into the ocean. They can see how Hashem is confusing them. And yet they keep on running in further. They can't stop themselves from running in. And then as the Egyptians are going into the ocean, Hashem tells Moshe, stretch out your arm over the sea a second time. He already stretched it out once when the water started to split. Now Hashem tells Moshe again, stretch out your arm over the sea and the waters will collapse and return back to their normal state covering the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen before they leave the sea. So what happens? Moshe stretches out his arm. Now it's ready the morning of the 21st of Nisan. God shakes up the Egyptians inside the ocean. Meaning normally what happens when the water covers a person, just drown them. Hashem did another miracle. Here, besides the many miracles that happened to the Jews, God did many miracles to the Egyptians in order to prolong their suffering, that they should experience a proper punishment for what they had done to the Jews. God keeps them alive. And they're being churned around in the ocean. And there's different verses that describe different, different levels of churning and being thrown around, depending on how much sadistic pleasure the Egyptians got from torturing the Jews. That's how long they suffered in the ocean. So some, it says, sank like lead. Some, it says, were like straw. Straw in the ocean gets thrown all over the place. It doesn't stink. And there were some Egyptians that were being shaken around like a piece of straw in the ocean, being churned around, being thrown into the floor of the ocean, which become hot mud as a punishment for the Egyptians making the Jews work with mud, bricks, to make the cement for the buildings the pyramids, they were thrown into the hot mud of the bed of the ocean, but they weren't killed, and then thrown back up to the top of the sea, and back down, so they experienced the torture they'd done to the Jews, they experienced it themselves. Anyway, so the Torah says that the waters were returned to cover all of the chariots, and all of the horsemen, and all of the people of Paro's entire army had gone into the sea. They kept them going in, even after they saw the first rows were drowning. God made a miracle that they were so confused that they were trying to turn away and they kept on following after the other soldiers, piling up in the ocean until every single soldier in the entire army of Egypt was inside the sea and they drowned. Which literally means there was not remaining from them until one. So simply means that not even one single soldier in the entire army of Egypt survived this drowning and suffering and torture of the Egyptians as they were churned and sunk in the mud. Some were just in the, stuck in the mud, they couldn't escape while the waters covered them, and they were experienced as drowning. Some were actually being shaken around, but not one remained, not one survived. However, we're told that what does it mean that not one remained? If you read the word very literally, means until one. So not, no one remained until one. Who was the one Egyptian that survived? The king himself, Pharaoh himself. Even though he was the very first one into the ocean, he led the Egyptians into the ocean. God kept him alive for a few reasons. Why did God keep him alive? First of all, dying would be less of a punishment. Living without an army is a bigger punishment for Pharaoh being forced to recognize that he's not a god and he was helpless and defenseless and that God took everything away from him is a much greater punishment to Pharaoh than just 
dying in the ocean. Secondly, so he saw this, this destruction of everything he had. But in addition, after he survives, he does not go back to Egypt. He's going to go back for he's uh, he, he destroyed his country. Egypt, after this, is no longer a superpower. In general, even historically, Egypt was a superpower of the world. And then at some point, they just like ceased to be a superpower. And there's no recorded in history, besides for the story, there's no war or other empire that takes over the Egyptian empire. Normally, when one empire ends, it's because another empire took over. There's no new empire after the Egyptians. They just cease to be a superpower. I mean, we know why. We know the story. So anyway, so Pharaoh disappears, but eventually he becomes the king of Nineveh. And you know the story from Yom Kippur, when Yonah will come to the city of Nineveh and say, it's time to repent. The king of Nineveh will tell the people to fast, to put on sackcloth, to put on ashes, to return to Hashem. Who is this king of Nineveh? It is Pharaoh himself. Anyway, the Jewish people walked through the ocean on dry land. The waters were them for a wall on the right side and on the left side. This is a reference to the Torah and the tefillin of the Jewish people on the right and on the left. And the Torah is compared to the right hand and the tefillin on the left hand. On that day, God saved the Jews from the hand of the Egyptians. And then not only did God save us, God did another miracle. What was the miracle? God opened up the sea and spit out all of the Egyptians that had tortured the Jews. They were spit out of the ocean and put onto the dry land. This way, when the Jews would see the bodies of the dead Egyptians, they would at least be able to know that those that had killed them, now they themselves were dead. They were no longer alive because they had come out on the same side where they had come from. The, the splitting of the sea wasn't to cross the sea. It was to drown the Egyptians. So they went in and came out like a U. A U-turn, where they came in, where they came in from. So they thought maybe the Egyptians also came out somewhere else. When they saw the Egyptians dead on the shore, now they knew that their slavery was truly over. And this is a completion of the Exodus that began seven days before. It's because even when you escape an abuser, the abuse is still in your head, he's still in your mind, you're still living in a fear of state of fear and panic that they might come and get you. When you see the abuser dead, now there's a certain release and a freedom from the abuse that the Jews had suffered, and they see the great hand of God, and they fear Hashem, and they believed in Hashem, and they believed in Moshe, his servant. So you see over here in this verse something amazing. The Jewish people have just experienced the great, one of the greatest miracles the Jewish people will ever experience. The verse says that they saw the Yad HaGdoyla, they saw the very powerful hand of Hashem, and all that he did to Mitzrayim, Hashem, and all the Jewish people are in awe of Hashem, right? And what's the next words? They trust in God and in Moshe, his servant. They, they trust in God. Well, they, they fear, they're in awe. And they have now belief in Hashem, which means not just that they believe that God could do miracles. Because that's what you're saying correctly. They already saw the ten plagues and they saw the exodus and they saw that the dogs didn't bark at them, etc., etc. So they for sure believe. Here, they, their, their belief is in a whole new level of that which is transcendent, not that which they saw. They recognize that Hashem is greater than anything that they could imagine. And not only do they believe in Hashem, but in Moshe, his servant, Moshe Avdo. From here we see that part of believing in Hashem is to believe in Moshe, his servant. The two are connected one to the other. How do you come to believe in Hashem more than just, I believe in God? But to have a level of emunah, 
that transcends the person that's beyond you that they achieved at the splitting of the sea, that requires Moshe Abdu. That requires a Rebbe, a person who would stand in between God and the Jewish people to be the connection that brings the Jewish people and God together. And just like Moshe did at the splitting of the sea. Moshe was the one that did the miracle. I mean, who did the miracle? God or Moshe? Obviously, God did the miracle. It wasn't Moshe. But Moshe had to stretch out his hand over the sea for the sea to split. There had to be a, a, a physical expression of God in the world. That for us to see God, to understand God, how do we do that? Through a physical manifestation of God in the world, which is a Rebbe, which is a Moshe. That's what Moshe described as an Ish HaElokim. We already had earlier, Moshe is called the man of God. Why is he, the, is he a man or is he a God? Talmud asks, is Moshe Ish or is he Elohim? Is he man or is he God? And what's the answer? He's, man of God. Not a, he's both. He has human characteristics. He's an Ish. But he also is so nullified to Hashem that his very identity is Elohim. Meaning most of us human beings... We have a very healthy sense of ego and a healthy sense of I and self. So although we recognize that God is greater than us and we need to do what God tells us, at the end of the day, I am serving God. I will do what God wants, meaning there's I, and I will nullify myself to do what God wants. The level of, a, of the forefathers, the level of Moshe Rabbein, it was like a chariot. What's a chariot? The chariot, the Markava doesn't say, I will go where my driver wants me to go. A chariot has no sense of self, has no sense of I. Its only existence is to go wherever it's told to go. Chariots don't choose to listen to the driver, right? Can your, can your car choose to go a different direction? You're going to go this way and go that way? Some cars today, they, you, know, you know, maybe a really old car. But a chariot has no, no choice. So Moshe is like that. Moshe is a channel. He's so nullified to Hashem. That Moshe is a channel through which we can come to a feeling of connection to Hashem. And that's what the whole song of the Yeshua we'll talk about tomorrow is through Moshe that we come to the, the ability to sing and to feel a, a love and the connection to Hashem.